Episode 16 Chapter 3 They went on the walk the following morning. They stepped out of their building into the street to find stalled cars in the middle of the road. These dotted the roads of the whole town and, presumably, settlements around the globe. They had already become emblematic of the crisis. They had stopped as suddenly as the world of which they were an integral part. Like them, the town was frozen in limbo, waiting for what would happen next. They had not been cleared because it seemed pointless to do so. The roads were not needed if there were no cars to travel them, so why go to the trouble of clearing them? For horse-drawn carts? That was the reason openly given at any rate. A second reason underlay it, however. One that most people did not want to admit to themselves, let alone to one another. If they cleared the roads, that meant they accepted that the power was not going to be restored soon and that they must adjust to the awful reality of a... No, they did not want to go that far. Like Bruce said, there were too many vested interests in a restoration of power for them, the almighty mysterious them, to fail to achieve it. So the roads were blocked until the power could be restored. No big deal, right? Uh, not quite. The power loss, combined with the stranded cars, had turned the spaces between them into empty space. Space that was being filled up. No cars meant no rubbish collection. Piles of black bags were starting to accumulate. At first, they were placed neatly, apologetically, temporarily, next to the cars, for lack of a better place to put them. Then rubbish attracted rubbish. Litter that the overfull bins could not hold was chucked onto the burgeoning piles. Someone had evidently thrown a fridge out of their window. It was a golden opportunity to get rid of rubbish without financial or legal consequences. Besides, who has not wanted to see the spectacle of a flying fridge, hear the wonderful crunch, see the door snap open and spray rotting food everywhere? That, at least, seems to have been the guiding thought behind the launch. The debris had been rolled, kicked and swept into the road, where it lay between a battered Toyota and half a dozen burst black bags. The Toyota was battered because the owner of the fridge had evidently come to a twin realisation, that the assault of a car with an assortment of household furniture was another spectacle the world had been waiting to see and that the time for a thorough house-cleaning had arrived. The neighbours, and especially the owner of the unfortunate car, were of a different persuasion, namely that pieces of paper and shards of crockery all across the road, and a car with a chair sticking out of its window, a kitchen table on its bonnet, and an armchair on its roof, was not a good look for the neighbourhood. The owner had been told to retrieve his belongings, had refused, spent two nights in a cell, and then been released with a fine that he had no cash to pay. His cell was needed for a man who had drunk away the remnants of his final paycheck, then assaulted his wife with a cricket bat. Word got round of the boldness of the former owner of the fridge, and the police department's impotence, 
and his experiment was repeated across the town. The town's two custody suites were full to capacity, and there was little the police could do. Martin and Alfred walked along pristine pavements between boarded-up shops and roads that were already beginning to resemble rubbish dumps in both appearance and smell. Never had keeping the pavement clean been simpler. Everything was simply kicked into the road. The mayor had belatedly designated a few sites for people to dump their rubbish, but what fool was going to travel hundreds of yards with their bin bags on foot? The idiots, Alfred said under his breath, though I suppose it's logical. What? What is this? Martin gestured at a small mound of plastic where someone had emptied the conscientiously sorted contents of a bin's worth of recyclables. Or this? A Volkswagen Beetle crumpled extravagantly into a lamppost, flamboyant in colour and position alike. As was its owner, apparently, for he or she had simply abandoned it, doors open, to the gratitude of a homeless man, who had turned it into a home. Or maybe that... A dead dog with mangled paws laid out in front of the wreckage. Are you out of your mind? His voice started to rise. The passers-by started to turn in their direction and Alfred waved him down. Okay, okay, no need to shout. I admit this is a rather bad stretch. It's not all like this. What I meant is that people are starting to realise that there will be no swift resolution and that for now they can do what they please, practically without consequences. You call this without consequences? They have to live right in front of their rubbish. Which is why I called them idiots. But it's no longer their rubbish. It's not in their homes anymore. So they think it's not their problem anymore. That's why I called it logical. So This is how short-sighted people are? Alfred surveyed the road, and a man in flip-flops, dirty pyjamas, and a week's worth of stubble, who had just emerged from a building with a big black bag. It was as though all his will to maintain a basic standard of personal hygiene had been obliterated by the CME along with the power. Apparently, Alfred said. The man shuffled across the street and stumbled over the dog. He nearly went flying, and a few empty tins from his bag did. They clattered across the road. He swore at the dog and kicked the limp body violently. His flip-flop flew off, but he did not seem to notice. He then headed towards one of the mounds, then stopped, struck by a thought. He turned back and emptied his bag over the dog, burying its torso. He did not even look around to check for potential opposition. Martin's jaw dropped in disbelief. He strode over. Hey, what do you think you're doing? He was met with a sleepy gaze that wakened into belligerence. Taking out the rubbish the man said as though explaining it to someone with sub-average intelligence. Why can't you at least just leave the bag there so it's easier to clean up later? 
There's no need to empty it like that. Yeah, there is. We've only got one more bin bag, and in case you haven't noticed, mate, the shops aren't exactly well stocked. Now, fuck off. That's no excuse. You put that rubbish back in that bag right now. Martin took a step closer. People began to stop. A couple inquisitive faces appeared at the windows. Dirty pyjamas shook the last sludge from his bag, balled it up and stuffed it inside his pyjama trousers next to his bare skin. He made a come-at-me gesture with both hands. Why don't you make me? Martin opened his mouth, closed it, hesitated. Alfred stepped over and put his arm on Martin's hand. Come on, time to go. No, it isn't. We can't let our town become a stinking slum like this. I mean, look at this. He turned round to all present and his arm swept the road. Is this how you want to live? What a drama, Queen. Do you want to go or not? Dirty pyjamas took a step closer and rolled up his sleeves invitingly. Martin looked at the spectators in mute appeal. I don't like it any more than you do, but they'll clean it up as soon as the power's back. A middle-aged woman said. They? So you just make a mess and behave like brute animals and they will clean up after you? Dirty pyjamas shook his head. It's too early for this. He shambled off, flapping across the pavement in one flip-flop and one bare foot. Hey, I'm talking to you. Hey! The building enclosed dirty pyjamas and the nascent crowd started to disperse. The show was over. Martin looked at the building into which dirty pyjamas had disappeared and then back at what he'd left behind. How can people live like this? How can they get to this point in just one week? Alfred shrugged. You think this is bad? Wait a few weeks. Enough of your cynicism. My cynicism? Look around you and try to draw a different conclusion. The power's been gone one week. The roads are already trashed, and the police can do nothing about it, and people are starting to realise this. What do you think will happen in a few weeks? I honestly don't know. Yes, you do. You just don't want to face it. Maybe you're right. Can you blame me? Blame has nothing to do with it. We have to be aware of what's going on, and you weren't. You had to see this. They walked on in silence and encountered a policeman. Where are you going? He asked. Just for a walk, officer, Alfred answered. We needed to get out. I'm sorry, but you need to go home, sir. What's the point? Alfred asked. The hospitals are full and they're not able to treat everyone properly. The last thing we need is a new wave of infections. Please go home, sir. No. This was unlike Alfred, Martin thought. He must be doing it to make a point in front of Martin. I'm afraid you have no choice, sir. Yes, I do. Please don't cause any trouble, sir. 
I'm not. We are just going for a walk. We're not infecting anybody. Mayor's orders, sir. Anyone refusing to comply has to spend a night in the cell. Alfred raised an eyebrow. With both custody suites full? You're bluffing. Well, I'm going to let you off with a warning this time, but if I catch you again, you will spend the night in a cell. If you say so, officer. Alfred turned his back on him and they walked on. Poor chap. I almost feel sorry for him. He's just trying to do his job. You see, though? Wow, you weren't joking. The police really are powerless. Of course they are. No cars, no guns, no reinforcements, no prisons. Only batons, a few tasers, and enough cells for maybe 100 people in a town of 70,000 that's about to undergo some serious unrest. Unless the power comes on or reinforcements arrive fast. Serious unrest? Okay, so people ignore lockdown rules and there's a lot of rubbish in the roads. It's a bit of a stretch from there to serious unrest. Is it? What happens when food supplies start to run out? Which they will start to in about a week. Or when people start to demand answers of a mayor who has none. Speaking of the former of which, he gestured at a shop front with a smashed-in window. Its shards still lay on the floor, together with the brick that had created them. Is that why you bought hunting knives? What do you think? God help us. Exactly. But we're all human beings. We respect human life and property. We have a community, common decency, government, laws. The first may be true, but the rest are going to become debatable really soon. I don't believe that. We'll hold together and help each other out. Which is why I won't let you hoard Chris's supplies. Technically, it's his choice. The needs of the community supersede that. Do they really? Are you a communist now? Leave such cheap points to Bruce. You know better. To hoard food while others starve is morally wrong. It's a sin, even though you don't recognise the existence of such a concept. You're right, I don't. But I do, and I won't have it. We can discuss that together. You can't tell me, though, that you're not worried that the sense of community might fall apart. You can already see the cracks starting to appear. Martin only gave a sigh in answer. <sighs> Let's stop by the church. I want to say a prayer and talk to the priest. The church was locked, and though Martin pounded on the door of the parish centre for two minutes, no one answered. He turned around, with shoulders slumped. I've seen enough. Let's go home. Let's go this way, Alfred said. They cut down a side street and came to the town's main hospital. Two men were supporting a third who had evidently been stabbed. Blood was seeping through his shirt and he added his own contribution to the trail of blood that marked the path of that day's patients through the hospital doors. Martin gave a quick glance and started to hurry on.